overcome that, and that's what we really want to look at today. In fact, the family was established before even government. It was, it was established, um, you know, before the church even. And so family is, is so at the heart of God. In fact, we know that, that the Bible often refers to Father God, right? Father, you know, thou in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? It's a father relationship, and he calls us as his kids sons and daughters. And so that's why we want to spend some time around this. And we're going to be looking at a set of twins, Esau and Jacob. And if you're not familiar with the story, don't worry. I'm going to give you the cliff notes. I do speak fast. I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, read this story. Genesis chapter 25 to the end. Because if you didn't think, if you think the Bible is not exciting, there is so much drama there. It is far better than any kind of soap opera, for sure. So there is a lot going on in this passage, and we're only going to just kind of scratch the surface of it, and I'm going to give you the cliff notes. So let's pray before we dive into God's, wor- God's word today. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we get to gather here together Father, to open your word. And we know that we don't take that lightly because every time we open your word, which is the living word of God, you read us. And so, Father, we posture our hearts and our hands today as we open your word to learn about uh, how to deal with conflict, that you would divide this word a thousand different ways. You know every family situation. You know everybody's birth story up until present, God. And we ask you that you would speak in such a tender and kind way to bring freedom into areas that maybe we just weren't aware of before. God, that we can walk out everything that you have for us in the context of healthy family relationships. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All God's people said. Amen. Today I've entitled the message, Make Peace not war. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Um, So essentially, before we jump into this passage, I just kind of want to set it up. So Esau and Jacob are actually the grandsons of the great patriarch and matriarch of our faith, Abraham and Sarah. Um, Their dad is Isaac. Isaac was the promised child. In fact, the promised child that Abraham almost sacrificed on an altar before God intervened, right? We also know that he had a stepbrother named Ishmael because mama got tired of waiting on God's plan. I know that also has never happened to anyone. We've never taken matters into our own hands, but maybe you could relate, maybe, just a little bit. So we're going to pick up Genesis 25, uh, verse 22 through 34. The babies jostled each other within her womb. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his body, his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to him. We know there was about a 20-year span between the time that Isaac prayed and the time that these twins were born. Don't you love the wait? The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, we'll call him a hunter, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And we know that he was kind of the the domesticated chef. Who doesn't love a man who can cook? I mean, I'm just saying. 
Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. Can you say dramatic, right? I mean, has anybody else say crazy things when you're hungry? Never go to the grocery store ever when you're hungry. You will spend twice as much. What good is birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear me first, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau, Esau despised his birthright. And who wouldn't? Your brother just lied to you and actually cut you out of your inheritance, right? I would imagine that would make any of us a little angry. And today, we're actually going to look at three ways to move from healthier relationships and to navigate conflict in our families. And you might be saying, well, why three? Catalyst, why do you always do three points? Because four, you will not remember. And that is as simple as it gets. Um, the first point that I just want to kind of bring to light if we're going to live in healthy family dynamics and relationships is that we have to commit ourselves to resolve issues. Do not stir up conflict when it is up to you. Genesis 25:22 says the, ba- the baby's jostled within her. We know this Hebrew word jostled actually means to smash. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen little boys smash each other. Um, But it's quite fascinating. It's very different from girls. I have girls and boys, and girls will talk you to death, while boys, and then again, I know it's stereotypical, so there are some exceptions. But boys, in order to, you know, sometimes my son, in order to to bond, he wants to wrestle you. And I'm like, it took me a little while to be like, whoa, what is happening right now, right? And it's like, no, I I want to wrestle you. I'm showing you my love, right? Right. And it's a very fine line when it goes from bonding to like, I'm going to smash you. I want to hurt you, right? And sometimes you don't know because it happens in like nanoseconds. And so my husband had to really bring me along in this process with raising a boy. Um, But, you know, I had a a, a sister growing up, so I really had no grid for this at all. And so these boys kind of came out of the womb throwing punches at each other. And we see that actually Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel. And this kind of symbolizes that wrestling match, right? He wasn't happy with his position coming out of the womb second as a twin. Um, and so we kind of see this happening. And we also see some favoritism happening. We know that, that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca, Jacob. And this is a side note to parents. Uh, this is no parenting message, but that's a really bad idea. Uh, favoritism is just doesn't help anything. In fact, it's like a fire that's already hot with sibling rivalry, and then we just pour gasoline on top of it, right? And so uh, we see this situation's already tense, and then we actually kind of catch this climactic moment of the story where he sells his birthright. And in Jewish history, this could be like a double portion, right? Whatever the inheritance is, is going to this firstborn son, And yet, we see that Jacob literally steals it right out from underneath him. So it's kind of ripe for conflict. Dr. Murray Bowen, who actually is credited for family systems theory, um, says, she, she talks about kind of what it is, and I think we see a little bit of this happening. And as we kind of unpack what, what family systems theory says, I want you to kind of think about your own family dynamics. In fact, he, she, uh, Dr. Murray Bowen says, individuals cannot be understood in isolation from one another, but rather as a part of their family, as the family is an emotional unit. Families are a system in which each member has a role to play and rules to respect. 
Within the boundaries of the system, patterns develop as certain family members' behavior causes other family members' behavior in predictable ways. And so what we see is that we all have a family of origin, and we all, we all kind of adjust, if you will, to one another. We're all very different. And actually, a lot of times, those differences are there to make us better, not bitter. But oftentimes, we fall into the latter if we're not intentional. And we see that Esau technically had a role to be that firstborn, so he would have, he would have received that, uh, that inheritance, but Jacob is unhappy with his position, and he's jostling to steal it. Um, Dr. Bowen actually says that maintaining the same pattern of behavior, behaviors within a system can lead to healthy balance, right? If everybody's kind of playing their role, it's, it's functioning, right? It's functioning as a body. The problem is, is that it can also lead to unhealthy, dysfunctional behavior. And I know nobody in this church has a family with any dysfunction, right? None of us. Thank you for your honesty, Pastor and New. Um, but I want you to reflect on some questions. What was your grid for conflict in your family? Did you have one? Was there, were you allowed to argue, or did you have to kind of keep this sense of false peace? Uh, was there, were there any boundaries for disagreement? How did that happen? Um, what did that look like? Because if we don't take a moment to kind of recognize our families of origin and the messages that we received, unintentionally, unintentionally or intentionally, we will end up inevitably repeating those, right? The good stuff and the bad stuff, the functional and the dysfunctional. It's worth mentioning that today we're really going to focus on what I'd say common family conflict. There are situations, and I know because I talk to a lot of people, there are some situations that I'm not going to address in this message in which you've got to get some professional help because there has been significant trauma. We all experience trauma. The question is, is it a little trauma or a big trauma? Dr. Anita Phillips talks a lot about uh, what, what these traumas can look like. And here's, here's the news. This is actually the common denominator between us all. None of us get out of life without some. Can I get an amen? Do I have any honest people in this church this morning? And they could be, and what is traumatic to one person might be different to another person. And it all depends also on these family systems that happen as well. And so we end up adapting to one another. And here's the truth. If you've experienced some, the effects of alcoholism, right? You, you, you have probably experienced some unsafe situations and circumstances. So you, because of someone else's dysfunction, in order to protect yourself, you adapted with some other behaviors to keep yourself safe and maybe even your siblings, right? And then if you, you know, chronic, if you experience any type of abuse, and, and may I say this, I'm so sorry, because that is not okay. And I want you to know that that's not God's heart for you. Oftentimes, if we're not aware of it, what can happen is we have a marred image of ourselves, and we have a really hard time believing that God really loves us and that God really values us. And if we don't correct that perspective later on in life and unpack our stuff, which we'll talk about, then we'll continue to believe this deep-rooted lie that causes us to behave in a way we don't want to, right? Because we believe, because somebody that should have been taking care of us, protecting us, actually took advantage of us, 
right? And so there's these things. And I know this is heavy, but I want to kind of paint a picture before we get into some of the lighter, typical family conflict. Because the reality is a lot of us have experienced trauma in our family. And if you experience someone that maybe had chronic anger or emotional instability, you probably didn't feel safe, right? So again, you adapted to have some, some behaviors that actually protected you. And the problem becomes that when you become an adult, and all of us do, if we don't deal, if we keep acting the way that we did, which were behaviors that, that helped us survive, if we continue to do that in our adulthood, we'll live in dysfunction and unintentionally pass it onward. And I know none of us want to do that because Jesus paid a price so high that we could live in freedom. Can I get an amen, church? There is hope for us no matter what because I know that my God, our God, who loves us and knows us by name, put every hair in our place, will turn all things. Can I, can I hear you say all things? All, all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to purpose. But we have a part to play in it. In fact, Romans 12, 17, the word of God instructs us on this when it comes to areas of conflict. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, and again, I painted some of those extreme pictures because I want you to know, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? You. As far as it depends on you. You can't control what other people do. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Make it your goal to live at peace. And again, we're going to talk a little bit about that because oftentimes that peace does not mean the other person is, has repented, forgiven, and everything's reconciled. That is not what it means. And aren't you glad, right? Because then you'd be held to that. But as it depends on us, we can make different choices. You know, I can remember, I was the older sister, and I can remember um, kind of taking on this unhealthy identity as the, as the athlete of the family, right? I made it to do high school sports, mind you. Nothing special, okay? I, I just, I could play. And I remember I was training for basketball, for tryouts, for varsity basketball tryouts. And my little sister, in this particular Saturday morning, wanted to get up and, and, and run with me. And I had kind of this, like, you know, it was my identity, right? I had I'd stepped into this role, and I was taking it a little too seriously. And I didn't want her to become the athlete of the family. And so I remember, and you guys are probably going to think of me less when I explain this story. Please forgive me. I have changed. 25 years later, I have matured. Um, but I literally turned around to my sister, who I was supposed to protect and love and set an example for. And I shoved that girl in the dirt because she did not listen to me. I told her not to run with me. And she was trying to hang on to my heels. And I turned around and I shoved her down. And I will never forget the look in her face. It was like, how could you? Right? Because in my immaturity as a child, I didn't recognize that that was actually a form of flattery. And she just wanted to be like me. Right? She wanted to be with her sister. And now raising two daughters, I see it all the time. Right? But until we mature into you know, womanhood, manhood, we don't, we don't recognize that, right? We don't see it. And so thank God we've healed and I've asked forgiveness like a thousand times and I think we're good. But, um, but if we're going to do this in everyday conflict, we're going to have to have some practical tools and I don't want to call them practical handles for resolving conflict. The first is we got to be slow to anger. 
The Bible instructs us in James 1, 19 to 20 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know, Anger is a normal emotion. In fact, we have these little magnets on our refrigerator at home, and they have all the emotions. And there's actually a lot more negative ones than positive ones. Isn't that sad? It's like, it just is. And so there's this magnet that says, I feel, and then you fill in the blank. And so oftentimes, I'll put it low enough where, you know, if the kids don't have words for it, they can slap one up there, right? And so it kind of helps me understand, like, okay, how are we doing today? And anger is one of those. In fact, we saw Jesus got angry even. But, the, but, but there's, there's something that, that James is trying to help us with is that it is okay to be angry. What is not okay is when we choose to sin in that anger, right? There are healthier ways to deal with the anger. In fact, Webster defines anger as a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Has anybody been angry before? I would be angry if somebody stole my birthright. Like, I'm just saying, right? It, like, it was a circumstance in which, yeah, it'd make you angry. I felt annoyed when my little sister was trying to take my spot as the athlete of the family. And what did I do? I shoved her down. That's where the sin came in, right? It was like, no, you're, no, you're not. Have you ever had a moment in anger that you did something that you wish you wouldn't have? Did you ever have a moment where your spouse didn't live up to their their your expectations, and you had a harsh word that cut them down instead of build them up? Do you ever have a sibling that you said some things you regretted later that they hung on to because your words pierced their heart and their soul because they were looking to you to be their confidant and rather you, you just really hurt them, right? Parents, have you ever had a moment of anger and frustration with your children when they're not listening and you've asked them to do something 100 times? And you, you have a harsh word that's not really kind. I have learned the art of apology as a mom. <laughs> I apologize a lot. Because even though what they're doing is legitimately irritating me, it just still does not give me permission to hurt them with my words. Nor does it any of us. But it takes conscious choice and effort. In fact, in my house with three kids, I hear a lot, like, there's a lot of fighting, and sometimes I'll have to, you know, come in as a, you know, the, the ministry of reconciliation and the mediator between the two, uh, all three of them, actually. My, my three-year-old is now involved. The, the dynamics are just very fascinating. So, you know, we're experiencing family systems theory, too. Everybody is. And so we got some things going on there, and um, oftentimes, you know, I'll try to figure out, like, okay, what happened or whatever. And, you know, it's like, well, she took my toy, so I decided to, like, crush hers, right? And I'm like, I constantly tell them, guys, we don't pay back wrong for wrong, right? We don't do that because that is not the best. That's, that's going to hurt our relationships with one another. In fact, we're going to offer forgiveness, and I try to walk them through it. How many times have you heard, even as adults, two wrongs don't make a right? But you, we all feel justified, right? It's like, well, she did this, so I'm going to do this. Or he did this, so I'm going to do this, right? But that is not God's way. It's not God's way. In fact, Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers a multitude of sin. Proverbs 19, 11 says it this way, A man's understanding makes him slow to anger. Today, we're trying to understand what is going on. Why are we so angry? 
Why are we so mad? Oftentimes, that amygdala, if you, if you missed our mental health series, we talked a lot about how that amygdala gets fired, and it is hard to think rationally, <laughs> right? Because we're just emotional. We're in our emotional state. But oftentimes, we have to gain understanding if we're going to change our behavior, and God can help us with it. It says, Proverbs 19, 11, it is his honor to forgive and forget a wrong done to him. Now listen, we can forgive somebody, but that memory may always be there. The difference is when we get healing in those memories, they don't have the same impact on us anymore, right? And so that can only happen when we allow God into those deep recesses of our heart and our experiences at the family of origin is typically where it happens. You know, I am no psychologist, but I've seen quite a few. And you know what ends up happening? They, it, nine times out of ten, you go in for one issue, and guess what happens? They're like, uh, let's talk about your childhood. I'm like, what does that have to do with this? Nine times out of ten, it starts at our families of origin. And oftentimes, you don't even realize the places that you had little traumas until it's revealed to you. The Holy Spirit is a great physician. He's a great healer. He's searching our hearts. May that be our prayer. God, search my heart and know me. May there be no wicked place in me. God, heal the places of my heart where humans let me down. And they didn't even mean to. That's a stark reality for parents. In my best efforts, I know my kids will probably need to go to therapy. <laughs> I, just, I just released somebody. Come on. There's no perfect parents. There's no perfect families. And you don't have one either, so stop pretending. Stop pretending. Practical handle number two, quick to listen. We have to be quick to listen. We all want to be heard, but we all don't take the time to seek to understand before we seek to be understood. We have to seek to understand because a lot of conflict can actually be stopped. It can be de-escalated before it even gets to the all-consuming fire stage because we assign intent, right? You did that on purpose. Oh, really? They weren't even thinking about you, actually. They just had a really hard day, and they had leftover and what they call carryover from their entire day. They're exhausted from work and all the people that pull on them there. They are exhausted, and they had a sharp word, but it actually had nothing to do with you. doesn't excuse that it hurt, and there's a conversation that needs to happen. But oftentimes, we assign intent, and we project onto other people. We have to recognize that we're doing it if we're going to stop the crazy train, Right? Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. I am a work in progress. I, I came out with a lot of words <laughs> out of the womb. And so it wasn't until my 30s did I start feeling like I really had a, a little bit of a rain on my tongue. <laughs> and some of you can relate because it is, it can be deadly, right? It can be used to build up or tear down. And the best thing we can do is learn to listen first. In fact, my kids came home the other day and they're like, hey mom, guess what? Do you know why we have two ears and one mouth? And I was like, no, please do tell. Tell me why. Why do we have two ears and one mouth? <laughs> because we're supposed to listen twice as more. <laughs> and it's true, right? We say this to our kids, but as adults, the same is true. We have two ears. 
to listen all the more so we can be slow to speak, which we'll get to. But the first thing we have to do is we have to take introspection. When you find yourself in conflict, it's really important that we choose to put others ahead of ourselves and seek to understand before drawing conclusions, right? And even that, even at that point, again, we have to, we have to take ownership of our part. The second we need to do is develop the skill and discipline of, of listening, and it is a discipline. It is not going to come natural, right? It comes natural to some people, depending on your wiring. And then other, and, and, and the opposite is true. You'll have to learn how to speak up. Some people have to learn to speak up. Others have to learn to be quiet so that others can speak up. And so again, depending on how God's uniquely wired you and your spiritual formation journey, we'll call it a process of sanctification, it will be different. It will be unique to you. But it's something we all have to practice. And practical handle number three is to be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we give gentle answers and we approach people humbly, it's like if there's a raging fire happening, right? If we choose to assign intent, add fuel to the fire, it is literally like taking a gas tank and just pouring fuel on it, right? When we approach it in a way that has attitude, that is, you know, and everybody's had the silent treatment before, that's just as bad for those of you who thought that you were off the hook. You're like, I don't have a problem with my mouth. But you kind of do the opposite by like silent retreat, right? Which is just as bad. I know, that was for somebody and I see lots of couples laughing. And so, either way, let's not like point fingers at which one is worse. We're literally taking a gas tank and just pouring fuel on the fire. God says, this is not wise. And we all do it. I had a choice just last night. Can you imagine that? I've studied conflict all week, and I had an opportunity, and I saw the bait. I was like, there's a fire. I see a fire. I really want to do this. But you know what? I'm going to choose a different way. <laughs> I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to bite my tongue, and we're going to talk about this in a different tone, and I'm going to pour water on the fire, right? We all have a choice every day. Do you want to put the gasoline on it to make it even more consuming, right, and fire that consumes everyone around it, or do you want to be the one who's carrying a jug, jug of water everywhere you go? When we do this in a culture that is so primed, so primed, for fighting. We become the light of Christ, but it starts in our homes. It really does. It starts at home when nobody's watching. Now, there are some situations that are already, the fire is like hot. And so before you could even go there, we're going to have to do some de-escalation on a few things. Sometimes you're going to have to walk away, right? You just got to walk away. Sometimes you got to take some deep breaths and you got to Get your composure. I've had to do that a lot with my kids. I've started taking lots of deep breaths, actually. Uh, just freed somebody else up. I, I breathe a lot. It's very good. It calms the amygdala. Go catch the, the mental health series. Um, and then we have to kind of just develop this habit of thinking before we speak, right? Um, it's just really, like, is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it going to build this person up? Is it intentional? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary, right? Um, and is it kind? We just kind of have to take that pause. So this week, I want you to I want to challenge you. These practical, practical handles, I want you to put them into place this week. 
The second thing we have to do is we got to break free of unhealthy generational patterns. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we have to recognize that they exist. There are blessings in family, and there are not blessings in family, right? They're, they're more like generational patterns of sin that repeat themselves and cause a lot of havoc in families. In fact, we know that when Isaac was older and he was blind at this point, he's getting ready. He's like, I'm about to die. I want to bless Esau before his firstborn son with the inheritance before he dies. And Rebecca, his wife, actually overhears the conversation. Now, mind you, she favors Jacob. Pick up in Genesis 27, 5 through 10. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left the open country to hunt gain, game excuse me, and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing and the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you to do. Go out to the flock, bring me two choice goats, young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you the blessing before he dies. What is happening right now? Rebecca is lying and setting her son up to lie to her husband. That is really messed up. <laughs> she goes as far to put goat skin on his hands so that her blind husband, I mean, that's low. That is low. So that Jacob will think that it's Esau when he touches his hands. And then he lies to him and steals. Not only he stole the birthright, but now he's stole the blessing. In verse 41, Esau's ticked off. I'd be ticked off too. And he's mad. He says, I'm going to kill my brother when my dad passes. Because I don't want to shame him, but I'm going to take him out for what he did to me. And then Rebecca basically hears word of this, and she ends up sending her son Jacob to her brother's house to get a wife. She makes up another lie. Isn't that funny how lies actually build upon lies? You gotta, the first one you tell, you got to tell a bigger one to cover the one. You know how they could work. And you see a generational pattern of lying. So Rebecca has already, she's, she's basically modeling for her son um, just what it looks like to live a life of deception. We don't have time to get into it, but at Laban's house, he gets lied to. By her brother. Can't tell me that's not family related. And then he ends up marrying both sisters, which causes a whole lot of problems. I mean, talk about drama. Go read this story for yourself. I'm not making this stuff up. And after that, he ends up being lied to by his own sons. You see three generations of deception happening and a lot of mess to clean up. In fact, one of, the, one of the traditions we have um, as a family, my dad started. Um, and unfortunately, I got too excited this morning and broke my really cool elf cup to show you guys. So you're going to have to go with me. This is an elf cup. And my dad, we would, on Christmas Eve, we'd actually have eggnog together. And it was really sweet. It was just like something that just really stuck with me. And so we've passed that on to my kids. And now they want eggnog. And we even got Jeremy his favorite elf mug, which I broke because I got too excited this morning in first service. Um, and we have eggnog. And while that's amazing, a lot of families have great traditions, right? You have traditions and memories and blessings and sometimes inheritances to pass down. But we pass down a bunch of junk, too. Right? And nobody, nobody gets out of this, like all of us, because there are no perfect families. And so we have to kind of look at some of those things. You, you've probably heard it said in a, you know, nobody says, oh, we have a generational pattern we pass down. But they will say, well, you know, they've always been broke. Your grandfather was broke. 
your mom was broke, your relationships have always, you know, everybody gets divorced in your family, um, you know, this person's got a hot temper, they've always had a hot temper. Well, you know, her grandfather and her grandmother, they're both alcoholics, I'm sure they'll be alcoholic too. Have you heard this before? We're so careless with our words. And can I tell you something? Jesus did not pay the price of his life for, if we are believing Christians who believe in the power of God to repeat this stuff. He said, I have given you power to break the assignment of the enemy off your family. And you have that power, but it's going to take some intentionality. Jesus did the hard part. He paid for it. He grafted us in to the family of God. He made a way to break these generational curses off of our families and off of our lives. However, it's going to take some intentionality on your part and my part. We have to make different decisions. In Numbers 14, he actually references, and again, this is Old Testament, but he he references that sometimes these generational patterns of sin can happen for two and three and four generations. We see that here, and if you reflect long enough, you'll see it in your families as well. But I have good news, church. Not today. Not on my watch. Because now you're aware. When you become aware of something, now you're accountable. You're accountable to the fact that God wants something better for you. Pete Scazzaro, author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. How sobering is that? So we have to make two decisions. We have to unpack our yesterdays. We have a freedom class that happens the spring and the fall every semester. We have 12 weeks of unpacking our stuff together. It is awesome. In fact, I had a bunch of, uh, they're actually graduating. We have one more week, um, students that have gone through it this semester. And you know what? They're walking lighter. Why? Because we unpacked some stuff that was impacting their today, but it started yesterday. It's awesome. Talk to some of them. Find them. They've got amazing testimonies of what God is doing. So we have to recognize them. We have to repent. And we have to say, God, help me to make different choices and get some accountability in our life so that, guess what? Yeah, maybe, maybe we had indebtedness in our family that kept us, you know, broke. But guess what? I'm going to take Financial Peace University through one of the life, Faith and Life courses, and I'm going to start a different pattern in my family. Right? Yeah, so-and-so had a drinking problem, but you know what? I'm going to stay away from it. I'm going to push it away, and I'm going to get the help that I need so I can turn it around and go a different direction. Y'all with me, church? This is serious stuff, but nobody can do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. You have to make the, 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 the step because Jesus came to give you life and life to the full. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Aren't you glad? Secondly, we have to make the decision, don't play favorites. My kids do it to me all the time. Mama, they'll pull me over to the side. Mama, you, I'm your favorite, right? Especially my son. He does this too. I'm your favorite, right? You're right. You are my favorite. You're my favorite son. You're my favorite firstborn daughter. You're my favorite youngest daughter. And I love you in all your uniqueness. I love you each uniquely, just like God loves us uniquely. None of us have the same fingerprint. None of us have the same story. And yet God has been working from the beginning to the end. And if it's not good yet, he's not done. There's still greater freedom if you'll invite him in to these places so that you can get true healing. So that we can walk lighter and we can change generational trees. How exciting is that for generations to come? Romans 2.11 says, For God does not show favoritism. Neither should we. We're called to have unity of mind. 
Uniformity and sameness is not the same as unity. Unity loves diversity. A diver diverse thinking, diverse personalities, diverse backgrounds. Why? Because we're better together. You've probably seen it on our shirts. We're very serious about that because God is serious about it. We're better together. I begin to actually sit down, start sitting down with my kids um, because there's, again, fighting. And I'm literally saying, hmm, how can I develop some empathy? Because when we look at different sides of the coin, we can see different things. You see different, when you're like, I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna put myself in somebody else's shoes for a minute. So I'll sit down with them and say, you know, they're arguing and once they cool down, hey, how did that make you feel when that person did that? How did that make you feel, Hannah, when Judah smashed your toy or stole your, you know, your piggy bank or whatever, right? Silly stuff every day, but we do it as well. And we have to begin to develop this skill of empathy because when you begin to hear how your actions impacted somebody else, it makes you want to change, especially as we mature. So here's your challenge. This week, choose to unpack your yesterdays. It will be hard and it will probably be a little painful, but man, can I tell you something? When you have a broken foot and the doctor, it's going to hurt to reset it. But man, when that thing heals, you're going to run. You're going to run. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to get in the recesses of our family life and our family tree and begin to set some patterns that the enemy meant to mar us and to stop us from having a full picture of who God is. The third thing we have to do if we're going to have healthy relationships as we try to land this plane. I'm having a lot of fun. Are you guys having some fun? Okay, good. Uh, we're going to embrace imperfections and we're going to exercise forgiveness. We know that Jacob actually moved to his, to his uh, brother's house, Laban, his, his uncle, rather, which was Rachel's brother. Um, we know that he falls in love with Rachel, who is the, uh, the, the second born, and so he has to marry the firstborn. I'm telling you, it gets crazy. you, you got to read it for yourself. But anyways, he finally says, enough is enough. I've worked for you for 20 years. You keep deceiving me. I'm out of here. He takes everything he has, and he heads back. He's like, well, this cannot be worse than going back to reunite with my own family and Esau. So he takes off, and in the process, he wrestles with an angel, which means he wrestles with God. And in the process, what we see, we're going to pick up in Genesis 33, 1 through 4, is a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. Mind you, he's, this is favoritism at play right here. He put the female servants and the children in front, Leah and her children next, and then Rachel and Joseph in the rear in order of, like, you know, who he liked. <laughs> he himself went on ahead, and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, and he threw his arms around the neck and kissed him, and they wept. They wept. Church, can I remind you that God is in the business of using imperfect people to do incredible things? Jacob became, you know, it's like father of Abraham, father of Isaac, you know, it's like Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. He got grafted in after all his mess. He was a deceiver. And God, along this path, 20 years of a story, he changes his name. When God changes your name, he's resetting a new identity. And he says, you will no longer be a deceiver, even though this has been your generational pattern that you stepped into. But he says, because he struggled with God and with humans, he overcame. That is his new name, Israel. So he gives him a new name. 
Why? To, symbol, to symbolize, hey, Jacob, all this nonsense stops here. I need, I need you to walk a path. I'm going to reconcile you to your brother. All that stuff is under the blood. We're going to move forward in, in all that uh, I have for you, in the blessings. Because when, when we don't have to deal with all the mess and all the dysfunction, guess what? You can actually enjoy the blessing of family. But we miss it because there's so much dysfunction that we, that we focus on. But God's saying, hey, I want to get rid of that, and I want to focus forward. Focus forward. That's what he wants for us, church. The beautiful thing, this is, I'm just going to wrap this here at Genesis 33, 9 and 10. But Esau said, I already have plenty of my brother. Uh, plenty of my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So essentially, Jacob was trying to kind of reconcile. He was giving him cattle. He was, it's like giving him money, right? He's trying to like make it right. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably. The Webster definition of forgiveness is to cease to feel resentment against or grant relief from payment of. Now, I would say after we just unpacked that whole story that Esau has a reason to be mad. He had plenty of reason to hold on to resentment and unforgiveness and everything else. But we see evidence. They're weeping together. That this is true forgiveness has happened. And here's the beautiful part. When Esau offers this forgiveness to someone who... Who deserved it? <laughs> he, was, he was pretty wrong. Jacob experienced the face of God. When we forgive people in our lives that have done us wrong, they might just experience the face of God. How amazing is that? It is impossible in your own strength, but it is possible with God. That is the beauty of the gospel that is the beauty of what God did for he, us. He sent his son Jesus to pay for all of our shortcomings and make a way, church, so that others, when we offer this forgiveness to our families, to the people in our lives, we show the face of God to them. You might be the only face of God they'll see. Think about that. So when we choose to hold on to bitterness and anger and all the things... We're actually preventing people from seeing the goodness of God. What right do we have to do this? Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You are a peacemaker. Now listen, there's been some wrong done, and there are some extreme situations in which the healthiest thing you can do is release them and put some distance. There are a lot of circumstances like that. I've talked to some of you. In some cases, you have done what God's word tells you to do. As it is possible and as it is up to you, you have done the right thing before God. And now the best thing you can do is have some distance. But a lot of other times, just petty stuff. God wants more for us. He wants more for us, church. I want you to choose today. Choose today to resolve conflict quickly. Don't be the person who's throwing gasoline on the fire. Break free of generational patterns. Today, you saw it. That's the first step. Maybe you saw something for the first time. That's the first step of change. You acknowledge it. Wow, something's got to change. I don't want that. And then you got to embrace your imperfect story. We all have them. There's no shame in that. We all have imperfect stories. All of us. And we have to offer forgiveness. 
You know, I realize that today, maybe there are some of you who this is the first time you've even heard that there is forgiveness for sin, that there is a way to overcome and that you don't have to handle all this stuff by yourself. That there's a God in heaven who loves you and that he gave his son for you so that you can live free. This side of heaven and in, in heaven, that you, you can be with him for eternity. How awesome is that? And maybe some of you've walked away from that decision, but you're like, hey, mm -mm, I'm coming home today. I'm coming home today. I wanna pray with you in just a minute just to accept Jesus into your heart and to make a decision to follow Christ. It will change the trajectory of your life and your children and your children's children's children. That's incredible. But there's another group of you that I just, I just sense today that God's dealing with family because he loves it and he wants to restore and he wants to redeem what the enemy meant for your harm and he's gonna turn it around for good. He's not done writing your story. And some of you have even given up thinking like, Nah, I'm not, I'm not even, family's not for me. I've been hurt too much. I'm done, I've put up walls. God wants to say today to you, let me take those walls down. You're not alone, I have better for you.